Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful group of your children who have come here together, this family of believers, and all those who will hear this message in other places and, and online. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us all with your word, the word that you have for each of us. Help us to have hearing ears so that we can understand what it is that you're saying to us because we know that the, all of your 8,000 promises are for us. They're yes and amen, but they don't just happen automatically. We have to hear the promise that you have for us. We have to seek you to find out what that promise is right now at any given time in any given situation. We have to believe for it. We have to hear you, and then we have to be obedient to, to cooperate with the principles that you have regarding that spiritual law or promise, Lord, so that it can manifest in our life. And I so want that for all of these and all those who will hear, Lord. So help us to have hearing hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. My wife remembers the first scripture she ever had to learn. Same one that most little kids will choose because it's not that hard to remember, but it's Jesus wept. She thought that was the shortest verse in the Bible. I think it's, it probably is with, if you count the, the letters. But, but, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Rejoice always. That's the scripture. 17 says, Pray without ceasing. And 18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So rejoice always. Not, and, and pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. So it didn't say for all circumstances. We've talked about that. <laughs> God doesn't expect you to be thankful for things that the devil is doing. And uh, he's not happy with ministers that teach people that God did that either. You know. So it's the devil that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God came that we might have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. Amen? Amen. So being thankful and rejoicing and praying without ceasing, that's the will of God in Christ for us. Why? Because first of all, he, he's entitled to that. You know, we, 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 uh, we should be thankful and have gratitude in our hearts. But second of all, it's good for you. Anything that God wants you to be doing, it's because that's the best thing for you to do. When you pray and when you rejoice and give thanks in the midst of any circumstance, good or bad, uh, it empowers his angels to go to work on your behalf. And when we grumble and complain, it really sets loose the powers of the enemy in our lives. So it's counterproductive. Amen? So that's why God tells us. If he tells you something... You better believe that it's good for you and not trying to take you, anything from you or to try to get you to earn relationship with him. He already loves you because you love Jesus. Amen. 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 <clears throat> so Thanksgiving is on Thursday. And Christians, of course, as we just talking about through the precious word of God, we should be, above all people, we should be thankful people. One of the ways that the Lord has taught us to be thankful through His Word and to be consistently thankful is by way of remembrance. This is a, a big 
a big thing in the Bible. And as you're reading through it, the next time I go around, Randy, you'll have this in mind, and that'll come to your mind. You'll hear me saying that every time you come to, and, where, and the Lord said you will do this to re, so that you will remember what I did, so that you will remember what I did, so that you will remember all the things I did. You'll see how many times you'll say, wow, he was right. It's a big deal to God to keep us in remembrance. In Peter's last letter to the church, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, way back in the back, it says, he said, I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder or by way of remembrance in the King James. So, and I won't go into the things that he thought it was good to remind us of. I've taught on it many times, but the point is, his time was limited and he knew it. When the Lord uh, restored him at the breakfast on the beach that I love to talk about, he also told him how he was going to die, you know. And he ended up being crucified upside down alongside his wife. He didn't want to be crucified right side up because he told them he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. So Peter had come a long way, baby. <laughs> and I tell you what, he's, uh, he's there waiting on us with Jesus. Amen? Amen. But I think it's, it's worthy of mentioning that knowing that his time was limited. And I think, because he goes on to say that the Lord had told him that his time was, was short. And so this was many years after Jesus had ascended. But instead of just adding one more thing, while I'm here in the body, let me, let me, let me get this one, let me tell you with one more thing. Let me tell you this, because you know there's so much, just like I talk about on that fateful night with the Lord, well, the night he was betrayed, I imagine everything he had to share with them, you know, and just, and then when he gave us his peace as a gift in John 14, 27, I think that's so special, one of the last things. But Peter had short time and he said, instead of telling you more, I just want to remind you of what I've already told you, of what you already have. Isn't that interesting? He used the power of our memories to stir them up. You know, to stir up our memories, which will stir up our faith. So memory is a powerful thing. Just, you know, especially thinking like this time of year, which one, you know, or, or in life period, but just, just seeing something or... or or hearing something, or this time of year I think of smells. One smell can really trigger your emotions and bring things to our remembrance, can't they? <laughs> but yeah. Last night, uh, my wife, Tavana here, and I, uh, we, we like to have a childlike faith. And so sometimes to do that, I think we act like children. And so last night, she had to close the store at 9 o'clock, which means she's going to get home closer to 10. And uh, so I, uh, I was thankful she called me on her break because I was going to, in all the extra time I have, you know, 
And I was on my seventh go around with the praise and worship stuff there, Sam. It didn't want to work, but the Lord fixed it for us. Praise your name. But anyway, I was telling her all this wonderful meal I was going to cook. And she goes, oh, I'll, I'll eat it tomorrow. You know, she didn't want to be mean, but she's, she's letting me know that's too late to eat such a big meal. And I went, I was kind of relieved. I was like, oh, good. <laughs> I, I didn't have time to do it anyway, but I wanted to do something special. And, and so what we did have, though, was a pie, a, a, a pumpkin pie that I bought some kind of special edition pumpkin pie that had been frozen for uh, probably 10 days or so. We had to eat it. I mean... You know, <laughs> so, so I put that thing in the oven for 90 minutes, and when she got home, that thing was ready, and it was on warm in the bottom, you know, and she smelled it, and she, I mean, before I could even get in there, she already had found the pie, right? <laughs> so that was our dinner late night, and uh, I, I, I told her, I think, uh, I think pumpkin's good for us, isn't it? You know, so she said, I don't know, but <laughs> we're going to say it is, Amen. But yeah, those smells, and there's just so many, especially in the way of food, you know. I know we've already had the, the, the texting going back and forth in the family and Garrett trying to claim all my, my, my deviled eggs that Tavana makes just like Mama did or better. So, no, 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 I, you can have some, but they're not all yours. You know? <laughs> so we have fun with that kind of stuff, you know. But the Lord taught us to remember in the Bible by setting aside special days to commemorate things, didn't he? Special events, things that he had done. That's one of the main reasons of the Sabbath day. And now in Deuteronomy 5.15, when, you know, Moses wrote Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy in a very short period of time uh, just to remind them of everything God had done, basically through his ministry. And uh, because he was not going to get to go into the promised land. It's the fifth book of the Bible, the book for grace, even though, so when you don't feel interested to read Deuteronomy, read it because it's very powerful. But the Sabbath, he told, it was when he was reminding them of the, the Ten Commandments and he mentioned the Sabbath day, he said it was that God had told them to do that to remember that they were once slaves and that he had brought them out with a powerful arm and the lifting of his hand through I'd have to paraphrase, but, but from Egypt, you know, from bondage. And so it was to remind them, you know, just to take a day of rest and, and uh, humble themselves and remember all the, all the good things that the Lord had done. Now, we know that, hey, taking a day of rest is good for the body anyway. But, you know, don't think that as long as you don't think it's going to earn anything from God. Jesus was the, is the Sabbath. We have, he fulfilled the Sabbath, and in him we have entered into that Sabbath rest. Amen. Amen. But I'm just making a point. All the feast days of the Old Covenant were types and shadows, all pointed to Jesus. But, but they set them up, like you can read in Deuteronomy chapter 16, and it lists some of them. And uh, the Passover is the first one that I'm thinking of there. But it's all about remembrance of what God has done. So that's why those meals, that's why those feasts and festivals, it's all about remembering God. They served as constant reminders of the Lord's blessings. That's also the purpose of our Thanksgiving holiday here in the United States, isn't it? It was established specifically to remind us of our humble beginnings and that God is the one who helped 
to found this country and that without him, the United States would not even exist. No matter where someone lives in the whole world, and I know there are listeners from all other countries, but being thankful or living a life of thanksgiving should be normal for a believer. Yes. Psalm 103 is one of my favorite psalms. Could probably say that about most of them. Probably have over time, but Psalm 103, and I just can't get there quick enough and I'd read too much of it. So, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. Look at that. Bringing back to remembrance. And forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Blesses your life. Uh, So it's a wonderful call to remember once again the goodness and the blessings and provision of God, isn't it? Forget not all his benefits. So the reason the Lord tells us not to forget is because remembering his benefit keeps our faith in him strong and effective. We talked last week about faith and the week before (laughs) and how knowing God's love for us, how knowing, believing, understanding God's love toward us, for us, and keeping our hopes and our dreams alive and healthy and godly are essential to a prosperous Christian life. Without hope, faith has no target. And without believing how much God really loves you, you need to make it personal. You will allow, one, people to beat you down. And two, you'll think, thinking God doesn't, you'll start thinking God doesn't love you or even like you. And so you, by way of your wrong thinking, will prevent yourself from getting your hopes up. Remember I told you you really need to have hope, which is a, your godly imagination going to work and painting the beautiful godly picture regarding his promises, his provision, his, his desires of good things for your life. You need to paint that picture in your mind. That's your hope, and that's what gives your faith the target. You send it out, and without hope, you'll die. Your faith has no direction, no guidance, nothing to hit. Nothing to shoot for. You're aiming for nothing and you'll hit it every time. You got to get your hopes up. The world tells you the opposite. Don't want to be disappointed. Well, if if you're confident and your hopes are in God, you will not be disappointed. As long as you stick with it. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And God loves you. And he wants you blessed and prosperous in every way. I can assure you. So don't present yourself from, prevent yourself from getting your hopes up because you need, you need hope. And you need to know that God loves you so that you will get your hopes up. And then you'll feel confident and you'll have, your faith will be strengthened to go out and take hold of the things that you're believing for. Amen. 
That's why dreaming big and being excited about the next page in your life and what God has for you is so important in the life of faith that we're called to. Called to. My, the righteous shall live by faith. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So you shall live by faith. If you ain't, then you ain't living. <laughs> Remembering the goodness and the blessings and the love and the promises of God requires some effort on our part, doesn't it? I'm not saying everything we talk about is easy. I'm just telling you. You know what I tell you? I tell you the same things that I hope any, any one of you will tell me if I am in need or, you know. That's a real Christian friend. Don't, don't go, oh, man, I've been there. I know I, oh. Don't just jump. Don't just, if you've got a friend that you love falling apart like a $3 suitcase, don't go with them on that journey, you know. If you're walking with them and they start falling down the stairs, you know, if you don't catch yourself right away, it's really hard <laughs> until you hit bottom. <laughs> but if you've got a friend that'll point you back to Jesus, back to the promises of God and the provision of God and the love of God, it'll help you. Amen. I spent about 12 hours with the Lord yesterday just seeking Him on this message and you know, it just preached me happy. It just, it's just what you have to do. Sometimes when you just feel the worst and the least and the left <laughs> and the whatever, negative thing you can think of that sometimes these holidays try to spring on people. You know, the enemy will do his worst, but he's nothing. Praise yourself happy. Thank yourself happy. You can do it. It works. If you'll just, sometimes it's like, oh, the heaviest. You feel like a power lifter just to get those arms up in the air and praise God. But if you do, it don't take but a matter of minutes. You know, I've set dogs to yelp and walking down my street with their owner. I've been praising God so loud before. They were going on in that house. That man loves God and he knows where his help is. Amen. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, get your hopes up. Remember the goodness and the blessings and the love of God. Avoid dream killers in your life. And avoid spiritual laziness. There's kind of two ends of the spectrum. Dream killers are, can be people, can be the six o'clock blues, the news. It could be Facebook, could be whatever. Watch, watch out for those dream killers, those who you share your excitement with about something that God has put in your heart and they just shoot you down. Quit telling them. And then avoid spiritual laziness. That's you. That's your part. Most of us are spiritually lazy. And that's, I'm not being mean, I'm telling you the truth. You could be the most exhausted, hardworking person 
you know, and be the most spiritually lazy. Especially sometimes when people are really hardworking, they just don't have time or the, the, the strength, you know, but you need to make time. The tithe is not just about your money. The first tenth of everything, all of your increase, everything God puts in your care should go to God. And I'm telling you that for your own good. If you say, I don't tithe because I can't afford to, you should tell yourself, I can't afford not to tithe. But nevertheless, it goes for everything. Your time, your, your, your gifts, everything. Give that first part to God. Find the, the way to give that tithe of yourself to God and watch all the things, the crooked places that made you not have time to be able to do anything, he'll straighten those out. He'll make things go smoother. He'll take five of the things off of the plate that you had too many on. And it'll just be like, wow, and you have to look up and, I mean, just hit your knees and say, Lord, you're just awesome. Can I just stay here with you a little longer so you can fix some more of that junk? I mean, that's, I'm just, I'm quoting the Bible here and I'm just, use, I'm just using will talk to do it. But I can find a scripture for everything I tell you. Believe me. If I ever let something slip that's just will and not the Lord, you, you let me know. And I'll repent. Because my prayer for 16 years is don't ever let it just be me, Lord. Let it be you. Now, there's always opportunity for me to mess up. <laughs> you want to find something wrong, you're in the right church, but, but, <laughs> but I love you, and I only want what God wants for you, amen? And I don't want you to settle for anything less than everything that God has for you, and I'm praying and believing for that for each of you, amen, amen. <laughs> Many people are hurting. We know this. We pray for the hurting people. We've been praying for Israel. I hope all of you are praying for Israel and, uh, and the demonic nonsense that is uh, always uh, put upon them and always will be until the Lord returns. So why do you think over, I don't know, 70, 80, 90% of all the, all the uh, United Nations declarations or whatever they call them, they're all about Israel. A little postage stamp, a little dot on the map of the world. You know, there is no Palestine. And I'm not just taking sides here. I'm, I am taking sides. I'm taking God's side. Because I told somebody the other day, I said, well, there is no Palestine. There's only Israel. I've been studying the title deed for it that God gave them for 16 years. And I'm pretty sure I'm right. God loves all those people. But that's Israel. <laughs> Amen. But using... The holidays, because I want to talk again about, I mentioned how the enemy will try to use, I think the one that, that we like the least is Valentine's. Not, not that we don't like the, but that should be like every day, right? We don't like the Hallmark hype of it all, you know, because there's so many people, I mean, you, you go to a grocery store and you see all those guys in the, on the, the card aisle and they're like, you know, they're just grabbing Stuff that half of you girls don't even want, you know what I mean? Because they feel like they have to. and You know, it's like, that's so dumb. So, 
And uh, I'm glad my wife, she's like, Psh, you know. And I just, I try to just, you know, she knows that there's nothing in my power that I won't do for her any time I can. You know, I, I think she knows that. She pretty much knows that. She, she'll tell you. If not, just call our daughter and ask her. She'll tell you. <laughs> Same goes for her, you know. But well, that's how we all should be. But, but, but using the holidays as a reason to be abusive to yourself or to others is very counterproductive. And I just want to put this public, uh, what do you call it, <laughs> public announcement out there. Don't let the devil do that to you. If you start to slide off into that, that pity party, self-destructive mode of the holiday season, uh, negativity, recognize that as an act of the devil messing with you and kick him right in the teeth. And go do something cool for somebody. That would be the first thing to get you out of it. And then all the way there and back, remember? Everybody driving down the street should say, what's going on in that car? I don't see anybody else in there. Say, oh, they probably got a kid in the child seat back there you can't see they're talking to. No, I'm just encouraging myself in the Lord. Amen? <laughs> Forgive everybody. Forgive everybody. The enemy uses this season as a time to bring up bitterness too and unforgiveness. Don't let him. Oh, every time he reminds you by trying to get you to do one of those silly things, say, oh, thanks for reminding me, you dumb devil. I forgive everyone, Lord. I forgive all. I choose love. I let you handle it all. I cast all my cares on you, Lord. You got a way better way of dealing with everything than I do. I just love them. I let myself out of this self-imposed prison. I'm free in Jesus' name. It's a great time to remember that you are to help build the kingdom of God by creating disciples. Mm -hmm. My work, the fivefold ministry work, is to, to um, prepare you all for the work of the ministry. Yeah. I know in most denominational settings, they think that it's all supposed to be on the ministers, but it's not. I'm just, y'all are here to congregate together and love on each other and pray for each other and then to, to be fed the pure manna of the Word of God and then to apply it to your lives and then go out and with the overflow to, to help others with the same help you've received. Amen. Heal them everywhere they hurt. Empower them by the promises of God. Let them know the love of God for them and let them know that He wants them prospered in every way. Heal, empower, love, and prosper. Help. There we are. Amen. So we've been talking about that. It's, it's, we, everybody needs to be discipling one person with the promise that, hey, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to share the stuff about Jesus with you, cool stuff that's helped me, and I just want you to come to church and promise that when we're done, you'll do it for somebody else. Somebody's going to respond in a positive way. There's somebody in your life that you're sort of discipling already and you don't even know it. Or you could be. Yeah, if, you've, if you've been with walking with the Lord for a little while, it doesn't mean that you have to know the Bible. You can just tell them, I heard a scripture, it went something like this. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I've just been doing that. 
I mean, that's a sermon for somebody. Don't try to be something you're not. You know? But praise God. Create disciples. Share Jesus however and whenever and wherever you can. Many folks in our blessed nation and around the world think that they don't need God. Or worse, sometimes they think that they do know God. See, I was in this, I was one of these. I thought I did, I thought I was a Christian. And when I found out I wasn't, it scared me almost to death. <laughs> but they never really, they never really committed everything. They never had an encounter with the Lord. You see what I'm saying? And like I said, I was in that boat, but the, there is a, the, the most terrifying, one of the most terrifying passages of scriptures in the, in the Bible is Matthew uh, chapter 7, where Jesus said that not everyone who says to me on that day, talking about judgment day, Lord, Lord, in other words, these are people that say to him that he is their Lord. And then they go on and they brag about, all, didn't we do this? We did all these things for you, <laughs> you know? In your name, you know, all the, all the, all the things. And, and then he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That's a, that's a scary thing. So we need to make sure we have a personal relationship with God. And listen, you, you might think that you need to go to Africa or, or somewhere else to, to reach the lost and the, those who don't know the Lord, but they're sitting in churches all around you, folks. And I'm not picking on anybody, but I'm telling you that the world says we live in the Bible Belt, right? We know that what that means is this is one of the biggest strongholds of a religious spirit. I mean, all the Pharisees and Sadducees' relatives live here. <laughs> and that's still very much alive today. And people need to know that God loves them and that they need a personal relationship with Him. And it's free. And He wants it more than they do. And without it, they're not getting in. <laughs> that's not the gospel. That's just the truth. The gospel is the good news about what Jesus has done for us. Amen? Sometimes people just never heard the gospel and they've been sitting in church all, all their lives. What I mean by that is they never heard the benefits. They believe that, you know, all the good things, that healing and prosperity are of the devil. And then all the sickness and strife and divorce and all that stuff and death is from God. And so they've been taught wrong. You think those people don't need your help and what you've heard here from this pulpit. Not giving any glory to me. I'm just saying I'm one of the few that I know of that said, Lord, I don't care what I have to say. And I'm not saying anything. <laughs> just like Moses said, if you don't go with us, we're not going. That's a good thing. That's a very smart thing. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> Knowing God is the best thing can ever happen. You ever met anybody that just went full-blown, all in for the Lord, got on fire for God and said, man, I wish I'd have waited just another year or two so I could do some of this other stuff I wanted to do before I jumped in with God and stopped having fun? 
Not true. It's just, that's again, that's religion that might teach you that because where you can't have fun because God is fun. Huh? I think of the John and his brother James, you know, when they wanted to call down fire on that town because they rejected them. And, and, and Jesus said, no, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. And then after that, he called them the sons of thunder. <laughs> Bow and arches or something like that is one word. But, but that's what it means, sons of thunder. And that's a joke. That's a, he made fun of them for the rest of their, his life here because of that. That's hilarious to me. Oh, the alternative to knowing him is very grim anyway, just so you know. <laughs> you know, the opposite of God, who is light, would be darkness. Do you want to be in the total dark? <laughs> so the opposite, he is love. So the opposite of love is, okay, so you're going to be in the dark surrounded by hate. God of all comfort. So the void of comfort is misery. Okay. <laughs> Miserable in the dark, surrounded by hatred. He's the blesser. So instead of the opposite of blessing is curse. And with every have you read the curses in Deuteronomy twenty eight? They're awful. So so get with God. It's a good thing. Amen. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 9, chapter 8, verse 11. I need to get moving here. I'm having too much fun. Just, just okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 through 11. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, all or every, some form of all, Five times there in that scripture, I use that and, and a lot of ministers do to talk about, I call the grace of giving. Your, your opportunity to sow into the kingdom is really an act of grace from God because he, re, he multiplies that seed back to the sower, doesn't he? Whatever form it's in. So again, keep that in mind. But this is I'm, I'm continuing on because Paul was just talking to those who had partnered with him and how blessed they were <laughs> because they partnered with him. Because God is able, you see, he's able. It doesn't say it just happens though, right? But he's telling them, now that you've partnered with me, God is going to do these things. See, as it is written, written he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So there's multiple benefits as well as just the type of seed that you sow being returned to you in multiplied form. But he said it's also going to increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. See, this is the scripture you go to, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11. Anytime someone just, they get religious and they say, Oh Lord, I don't want anything more. You've done enough for me. Well, you stingy son of a, you know what? That means you thought it was all for you. Hello. Because it says you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Amen. Huh? Yep. Be, so 
God wants you blessed, yes, I told you. He wants you to have that better car. He wants you to have a, a nice home to live in. He wants you to, to have money in the bank, savings, to, to leave an inheritance to your children's children. I want all those things, and I want all those things for all of you. And the way that you continue to multiply that, those things into your life is by continually giving. You know, Tavon and I, we never thought twice about tithing. You know, we've told you stories about that. You read my book. You saw where the Lord told me. He showed me all the trees praising God and holding all those cars that we held titles to that everybody owed us for. And I said, the Lord told me to sign those titles and give them away for Christmas and just, just, just send out. And she goes, okay. You know, she's never once, uh, her mother was a, a tither. You know, she paid for the church parking lot and, and all that. And she was a waitress. She wasn't rich, but what she lived, a life of abundance. What I talked about last week, there's a difference. Like when Jesus didn't have a roll of $100 bills in his pocket when he needed to feed the 5,000 with five little loaves. It was just a sack lunch of a kid. But, but what he did have was faith. And when he, he took and he gave thanks for what he did have, he fed the multitudes and picked up more leftovers than he started with. That's abundance. Anybody mind living a life like that? God is just good. Amen. <laughs> and, then he, and then he says, you'll be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us, Listen to this. Now Paul's bragging. He's like, now look what it's going to get for you. Through us, we'll produce thanksgiving to God. Amen. Most of you, people would go, no, that's a big deal. Paul's saying, you, you man. I, 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 I tell customers sometimes, man, you, you, you're really blessed that you met me. <laughs> You're really blessed to meet me. <laughs> you know why? No, because I pray for everybody I meet. Oh, thank you. I say, yeah. <laughs> and I mean it. That's what Paul meant it when he said that here. When we give thanks to God because of you, man, all kind of good things are set in motion. It's good to give thanks. Amen. Most of us know, I'm going to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving. Is that okay? Most of us know about the first Thanksgiving where the pilgrims gave thanks to God and the Indians for helping them live. Some of them lived through the first winter. It was really tough in the New World. So <clears throat> lots of the early presidents uh, had events celebrating the original event. Of the, of the first Christians, the pilgrims of 1620, right? But President Abraham Lincoln was, um, well, first of all, it was in the midst of the Civil War, in the height of it, 1863. It ended in 1865, so this was really, it was, it was really ramped up in 1863. And in 1863, Abraham Lincoln set aside the last Thursday of November as a national day of thanksgiving. He set it aside for prayer and thanksgiving to God. Over the next uh, 75 years or so, presidents 
kept doing what Lincoln had done and they would annually declare a national Thanksgiving Day, you know. But in 1941, the same year that of Pearl Harbor, the Congress established permanently the fourth Thursday of each November as the national holiday. So that's how that came to pass. But there's, there's more to the story, amen. <clears throat> but there's something called Proclamation 97. And uh, I'm nerdy in this way. I, I love uh, especially Abraham Lincoln. I've talked about him before and told some things, but I'm telling a little bit different this year. Some cool things. But there's a, I want to read a portion of Proclamation 97 from 1863 that President uh, Lincoln signed. They said, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. Talking about our country, our nation. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Now, therefore, in compliance with the request and fully concurring in the views of the Senate, I do by this my proclamation designate and set apart Thursday uh, as, as, the national, as a national day of humiliation <laughs> to humble ourselves, fasting and prayer, and do hereby request all the people to abstain, abstain on that day from their ordinary secular pursuits and to unite at their several places of public worship and their respective homes in keeping the day holy to the Lord and devoted to the humble discharge of the religious duties proper to that solemn occasion. All this being done in sincerity and truth, let us then rest humbly in the hope authorized by the divine teachings that, we, that the united cry of the nation will be heard on high and answered with blessings no less than the pardon of our national sins and the restoration of our now divided and suffering country to its former happy condition of unity and peace. <clears throat> that 1863 Thanksgiving proclamation came, spiritually speaking, at a very pivotal point in the life of Abraham Lincoln. During the first week of July of that year would come the Battle of Gettysburg resulting in the loss of 60,000 men. Four months later, in November, Lincoln delivered his famous Gettysburg Address. 
you know, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. It is altogether fitting and proper, therefore. Anyway, it was, but listen, it was, it was while Lincoln was walking amongst the thousands of graves there at Gettysburg that he committed his life to Jesus Christ. He wrote this in a letter to a friend. He said, when I left Springfield to assume the presidency, I asked the people to pray for me. I was not a Christian. When I buried my son, the severest trial of my life, it, I was not a Christian. It was that same year, by the way. Willie. But when... But when I went to Gettysburg and saw the graves of thousands of so our soldiers, I then and there consecrated myself to Christ. But thankfulness to the Lord for who He is and what He's done is like our spiritual thermometer, folks. The amount of time we spend thanking and praising God is really a big indicator of where we are in our relationship with God. We should be praising God no matter what's going on in our lives. If not, then we don't really understand what God has done for us through Jesus and what he's prepared to do even then, you know. And like I said, sometimes it's not people's fault when they've been taught that God's the, the author of their problems, and that's just not true. Tavana made me laugh out loud a few years ago. She may or may not remember this, but she compared us all to the pardoned Christmas uh, or Thanksgiving turkey. <laughs> and, and the more I see, the more I thought about it, the more I, I realized that's that's a pretty good analogy, you know. <clears throat> but I don't think that even uh, Tavana, I don't think that she knows where that tradition originally came from. So I want to tell you about it. And a little boy who I think that, uh, that she and all of us would really have liked. So, you know, the president still, he pardons a turkey every year for Thanksgiving, right? It's like the presidential pardon, and so he's spared from the, the Thanksgiving dinner, right? But do you know where the first pardon of the turkey came from? The same year, 1863, Abraham Lincoln's son, Willie, had passed away. As I mentioned, he died in the White House. But he had a brother named Tad, and Tad was a lively child. He, he dug up the rose garden. <laughs> he hitched a, a wagon to a goat and drove it through the White House, <laughs> through the dining room and knocked it over furniture and all kinds of stuff. See, she's sitting there going, yeah, that's all boy. Look at that. But he was, he was something else. But he had a pet turkey. He had trained this turkey to walk on a leash. 
<laughs> and he saw the, when, when Thanksgiving came, he saw the, uh, the chef or whatever they have, the cook there, he saw him gather up that turkey and he was taking him to get him prepared for, for dinner. And he ran to, Tad ran to his daddy. And see, this is just wonderful because you can just imagine, see, like he, back then you could just drive your, 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 your carriage right up to the White House, you know. And you could make an appointment. You could go in and see the president. You know, I'm sure there was heightened security during this time. But you know what I mean? It used to be a lot different than it is now. But Tad, he'd probably seen, you know, he, you know his brother had passed. He'd, he'd seen all sorts of tragedy. The war was going on. He saw people, though, come to the White House and his dad extend mercy and pardon people and, he, and things like that. He knew that this was a practice. He knew it was something in the power of the president to do. And it was a lot more common back then than it is now. They do it at the end of their presidency now. It's all about votes, stuff like that usually. Otherwise, they could do it. But nevertheless, so he runs to his daddy's office, who's in the middle of the Civil War, right? <laughs> and he begs for leniency for his pet turkey. And he asked his dad to pardon him like he does some of the criminals. And his dad granted his request and pardoned the turkey. <laughs> uh, so anyway, they, it, it, they kept that turkey as a pet in the White House for several years after that. And the, <laughs> yeah, I just think it's really symbolic of our country. You know, the whole story, the leniency, the mercy, the, the levity, the fun, the, the tragedy. I mean, just, it just all goes together. But I think I would have liked Tad and Abraham. I know I'd have liked Abe Lincoln. Matthew Henry was an early American preacher, and, and um, I've told this story. A lot of people, are, and especially pastors, have read his commentaries, but on the Bible, but once he was traveling to preach and uh, on horseback, uh, and he was robbed. And, uh, and most people, of course, wouldn't think that's a circumstance in which you give thanks to God, but he did. And he wrote in his diary, he said, I'm thankful that during these years I have never been robbed before. Also, even though they took my money, they did not take my life. And although they took all that I had, it, it wasn't much. And, and lastly, he said, I, finally, I'm grateful that it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. And so there's always something to be thankful for. Amen. There's a danger in a thankless heart, folks. And I'm going to close here. But in Romans 121, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is how Paul starts off his letter to the Romans. This is the condition of those who have hardened their hearts to God and how they did it. There's a progression away from God. When we refuse to honor God and his blessings, when we stop being thankful, 
when our imaginations are only self-serving and worldly, then we become foolish, dishonoring and lacking God, and then our hearts become hardened. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks. That's the scripture I started with. You don't have to go back. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So many things in our lives can reveal an attitude of ingratitude. They'll say the trials of life, loss, confrontation, even things that are seemingly good like wealth and success. Or sometimes we just forget to remember God and, and His goodness. Forgetfulness, the cares of this life, pride, thinking we can do things on our own apart from God. The list goes on and on. So just remember this. A thankful heart is something that has to be cultivated in the heart of a believer, in the life of a believer. You weren't born thankful. Just the opposite. Jeremiah 17, 9 said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We were born that way because we're all born with the seed of Adam, you see, that fallen, corrupted sin nature. So people are not basically good. They're born evil. <laughs> now, you don't want to walk up to a new mother and tell her that about her child. <laughs> Because that child is protected by God until he knows the difference. Yes, but 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, though, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So you're no longer basically evil or wicked if you are a believer and you've been born again. According to John 3.3, 3, you must be born again to experience and to see the kingdom of God. But once you are, then you're not evil anymore. You can be with the best of them, but it's against your new nature. It's against who you really are in Christ. Amen? John 13, 35 said this, By this, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, your love one for another. That was the standard that Jesus set for all of us, for the world whom he loves and died for and wants them all saved. For them to know and see that we're his disciples, the first thing they should notice is how much we love one another. I thank God that this is a very loving church. And we want to continue to do that. And we want to begin to grow outwards God plants something, he will, he will help it to grow. But you've seen a lot of, by a lot of my teaching, God considers all of this a partnership, a relationship in which we have a part to play, don't we? So just remember that this season, that Jesus expects us 
And it should be a natural response, our love for one another. Psalm 91, verse 1, is a commitment by all of us. It should be. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount or remember all of your wonderful deeds. So this is how this holiday season we can be thankful and give thanks to the Lord with our whole heart is just to begin all the wonder, to remember all the wonderful things that he's brought you through, that he's done for you, all the things that you do have instead of the things that you don't. And begin to get your hopes up. And then find godly believers who are your real friends who will believe with you. Amen. All right. Are you blessed today? Amen. You know the Lord loves you? You know he has good things in store for you? I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Give the Lord a hand clap. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory.